Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another Buffalo TechCast, where we talk to founders and funders about the startup ecosystem here in Western New York. We'll get to the program in a second, but first, make sure you subscribe to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes. All right, this week we're talking to Adrian Dayton about the company that he founded about two and a half years ago, Clearview Social, which helps professionals publish their content on various social media platforms. Um, so in the in the show notes in the Buffalo Business First website on Friday morning, we'll we'll have a, an associated story with the podcast, and I'll uh, I'll throw together a few links which give a, a deeper understanding of what Clearview Social is and their and their strategy and their technology and, and all of that. But uh, you know, for the purpose of this, we're gonna uh, hear Adrian talk about uh, the changes that he's gone through as an entrepreneur. Um, over these two and a half years and how those changes have affected the evolution of his company. You can't learn a lesson until you actually learn it, you know? And so, so a lot of the information that I wish I had known before, I don't know that it would have, it, it wouldn't have been as helpful to me as, as kind of going through things. Um, but clearly there's, there's some mistakes I made. I mean, one of the, one of the biggest mistakes I made and it's all on me is when I started my company, um, I hired a friend that wanted to work for the company because he thought it would be fun. And he's a great guy. I'm still great friends with him. But um, when you're running a business, it's very different than throwing a party, right? Like when you're watching the game, you want to invite over all your favorite people to hang out with you. Sometimes people think running a business is like that. Like, oh, let's get all the fun people. But you just can't afford it. You need to find only the people that the company would fail without, right? You just need the essential people. And that mistake, it was expensive. And, uh, you know, it, it, it obviously it cost me money. It cost me time because that's the thing is when you make mistakes in the startup world, um, oftentimes you never get a second chance, right? So oftentimes companies make the mistake six months later, they're out of business. There's no more money. They can't raise any more money. We were really fortunate, even though we made some mistakes early on that were expensive, we were able to overcome those. And about a year in, we had some significant layoffs. We had to lay off almost half the company. Um, but we kept the essential people and then we were able to continue growing and raise another round of capital. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess hiring though, that's the biggest lesson. That's the hardest thing about building a company is predicting who is going to be a star and who isn't. Okay, so you um, you went to law school, GB, right? That's right. And you then you were a lawyer, mm -hmm. and then you were a legal consultant, and you know uh, a consultant to the legal community about uh, social media. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a, uh, not the greatest way of describing it, but yeah. generally speaking, you I were. Mean, a I mean, to give you kind of my version of it, I was a practicing lawyer at Jacob Fleischman and Mugel downtown. And then one day the head of my department came into my office and shared with me a few words I'll never forget. He said, you're fired. Kind of sticks with you. <laughs> and I called my wife and she was crying because we had a baby at home. And I said, honey, it's okay. I've got this idea. I'm going to start a business teaching lawyers how to use Twitter. And she just cried harder. But <laughs> she's very supportive, actually. And um, although it started slow, over the next few months, I wrote the very first book on social media for lawyers. Social media then exploded and I was in the right place at the right time. So I built a consultancy to really mostly large law firms around the world 
and it doubled in size every year until we got to a point where I realized, you know, if I didn't work harder or more hours, I couldn't make any more money. And that's, and that's when it kind of dawned on me, I really had to create a product. How much money were you making? Um, I think, you know, my best years, I was making about $400,000 a year. So, you know, it, it went really well for me. Um, but I wanted something that would also be more lasting because while social media was hot, they loved bringing in a speaker to talk about it. But I knew at some point, these large firms, they would have their own internal people and there'd be more competition. And even though I was kind of first to the party, I was the first person to kind of write about this and speak about this in legal now, I mean, there's, there, there are literally hundreds of people that, that offer to do things like, like I do. Um, and so, you know, before I would go and give a talk at a partner retreat or a lunch talk at a law firm and they'd give me a nice check and everyone's happy. Um, and I just thought, what if I could go speak and then have them keep paying me forever? <laughs> like that's the dream, right? And, and so I needed a product. I needed a product that would deliver value every single month. And, um, and, and, and so that's really where it started is that I needed to find a product. And there's so many needs in the industry. Um, and, and one major problem that I kept running into time and time again with firms, and that is they loved the training. You know, everyone gave me high rank ratings. It was, you know, sometimes they, you know, I had people say, this was the best speaker we ever had at a retreat. And then I check in a month or two later to see, okay, what's changed in the organization? Are people sharing more? Are they using LinkedIn more? And it was almost, there was just almost no change. And, and I realized, and I've done a lot of research on this, you know, to change behavior, it really takes a process. It's not just a training or it's not just reading a book. You've got to have a process. And, and so that kind of inspired me to, to build the product. Okay. So given that experience, um, what did you take? What kind of manager were you when you mm. started a company, um, which, like you said, is a is a quite a different pursuit than um, than what you did before, which was to be an employee in a firm, um, and then to be sort of your uh, be the entire company as yeah. a as a con- traveling uh, you know consultant and speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what did Adrian Dayton, co-founder and CEO, bring as far as strengths and weaknesses to the to the CEO game two and a half years ago when he founded Clearview Social? Yeah, um, I brought inexperience mostly. No, I mean, leading, I mean, being a manager is very different, obviously. As a consultant, I could take off and golf when I didn't have work to do. I could, I, I would travel for a month each year with my family to a foreign country. I mean, there was just total freedom. Like nobody counted on me. I just had to make sure I did the, got the work done for my clients, you know. But um, as a manager, I think I started out, I don't know if you ever watched The Office with Michael Scott. Of course, yeah. You know, like in the TV show, he loves throwing parties. He loves it when everyone's happy with him. But he hates HR because HR does the thing that makes people unhappy, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think for me, I don't think, I, hopefully I'm a better boss than Michael Scott was on the television show. But I think when I started out, I didn't want to give bad news. I didn't want to correct people. I wanted everyone to be happy and everyone to enjoy their job. And while that makes, that may have made me, you know, somewhat popular as a boss, that's not the most effective way to run a company. How did you make that transition? I mean, that's 
the subtext of what you're saying is that you're now, you know, willing and able to, um, you know, be stern when it's required to. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think one of the big things I learned is that there's times when um, you need to be very clear with people. And um, I learned, I just learned this analogy recently. It's like pulling weeds, right? When you see a weed, if you pull it immediately, you can do it with two fingers. It just comes right out. But if you let it dig its roots in, it's going to be much, much harder later. And so now um, when I see things that aren't right, you know, I speak immediately. And that may be annoying sometimes, but, you know, but I think my employees like to know that they always know where I stand because I, even though I am, I still have reputations probably being too nice about things. Um, I am, I'm also have a reputation for being direct. So I think it's still hard. So, uh, so you have some, um, obvious and, um, inherent strengths. You're a really mm-hmm. good speaker, um, oh, you're you. confident, you're, you're smart. This, this is, this is who you are. This is what, mm-hmm. uh, this is why people have invested in Clearview Social mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say about what you're good at as far as it relates to your role as the founder and CEO of Clearview Social? Um, I think probably, probably the talent or the, I don't know if it's even a talent. I think just in inherent attribute that's going to make somebody a better entrepreneur. And that I think makes me better than the average person at being an entrepreneur is that I love it. I mean, I love it. I, I would rather be doing this than anything else. You know, I think, I think so many people go through their lives living a job, wishing they had done something else or wishing they had followed their passion and I just love waking up every morning and going in and, 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 and building this company. We, we had this awesome, we had this awesome moment, uh, a few months ago where we had an offsite and it was kind of a full day offsite where we figured out our strategy for the next year and we set a bunch of goals and, and kind of we set our final goal for the year and, and we, uh, you know, the entire company, if we hit this goal, we're all going on a cruise to the Caribbean. And in terms of an expense, it's not going to cost a huge amount of money, especially if we can, you know, achieve this goal. But the feeling of kind of unity and energy and everyone kind of focused on this same goal, and even the time since, um, it, it's just an awesome feeling to 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 have uh, to have the opportunity. And it really is. It, it really is. I just love it. I love I love every month and every weekend day that I get to be an entrepreneur. And I don't want to mess it up because I just love this job. I want to be able to keep doing it. Give me the regional context for Clearview Social. How has mm-hmm. being a tech startup in Buffalo helped the company and how has it hurt it? Yeah, okay. So before I started the company, I was a legal consulting company in Buffalo. And that had almost no impact uh, for negative on my consulting business because my my clients were so spread out across the large law firms in the United States. Um, once I, law, I launched the software company, um, th- there really was no negative. There's no there's never been a negative perception uh, in any case, in any sense of uh, of Buffalo. Um, the challenges, though, are obvious ones. And the one challenge is um, talent. When I started my company, I spent months trying to hire a lead engineer to build the first version of my software. And I had multiple people turn down a job to work for me, you know, making, you know, $100,000 a year uh, in Buffalo. 
And some of them were making less, but they just didn't want to join a startup. And so that was, that was frustrating. Now, I didn't have the network that I have now. I mean, now it would be much easier to find that hire, but I didn't know where to start. And, um, and hopefully with all of the work Z80 and 40 through North have done, if someone like me comes along in, you know, like today even, they're going to have a lot more help than I did having to kind of figure it out. Um, so, so, so that's a challenge just because we don't have a huge uh, IT infrastructure in Buffalo. Um, and the second one that you might think is a negative, and that is there aren't a lot of people that there aren't a, there isn't a huge uh, body of investors in Buffalo to invest in companies. Um, and I'm not even exaggerating when I tell you that you could go to Silicon Valley, to San Francisco, and you could pitch to a new investor or group of investors every day for five years. There's just almost an unlimited number of people with money that are investing in startups, right? Um, and so you might think that's, that's a negative for here in Buffalo, but because there's also a very small number of products being pitched, uh, the, the investors here are pretty receptive. So, uh, you know, two angels groups that, you know, I was very fortunate to have them invest in me, both the Buffalo Angels and the Rochester Angels. It's a large group of all accredited investors and they do due diligence on the companies before they invest in them. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think that angels groups in Silicon Valley would have been as willing to invest in me as the angels groups here because they don't get the same volume of deals. Angel, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Adrian, let me stop you there because I'm interested. A lot of people yeah. who are listening to this podcast either uh, are going in front of angels groups right now yeah. or are thinking about that they might uh, that they might end up. In a, and they, they hear a lot of pitches that they don't end up funding, mm-hmm. um, either that they throw away immediately or they throw away yeah. during due diligence. How did you approach that? What, what mm. did you uh, from every way, everything from the initial presentation to. Um, you know, the, the way you interacted with them throughout the deal. And some of those deals were pretty lengthy. Getting, mm-hmm. Is that, you know, from yeah, when you first talked right. to them to when they actually were ready to announce that they funded you. Yeah. Like what, what, what were the tenets of success there, uh, you know, that distinguished you from the ones that they didn't fund? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm going to talk about pitching to angels, like what, what do you need to be successful when pitching to angels? The number one thing to remember is investors always they always bet on the jockey not on the horse so the biggest thing that you can do in your pitch is to immediately establish your credibility with them now i was very fortunate because a handful of the angels um i've known for years one of them pat whalen was a mentor of mine when i was in law school here and so um so it was good that they knew me and it was good that hopefully they had a positive perception of me, right? Um, the second thing is, I mean, that first thing is so important that it can cover up for a lot, a lot of other things. The second thing is don't go pitch too early, okay? When I pitched the Buffalo Angels, I had already done a small friends and family round. I had built the first version of the product, we had some clients, we had some revenue. And so um, I remember one of the guys on the board of the Buffalo Angels, when I did kind of a screening pitch, he said to me, wow, you guys already have revenue. He's like, most of the pitches we get, there's like this desert that they're predicting until there's going to be any revenue. 
And that's hard for them to invest in. So you've so another way to say is either have revenue or have a very clear proof of concept. Have evidence in some form of another that this has been vetted and that it's already working or it has a very high likelihood of success. So, I mean, there, there's a ton of other things we talk about in terms of having good advisors and team members and good financials and um, a good story. Uh, I mean, I, and, but that's, if I was going to give you a third thing that is essential, it, it, it is the story. It's the narrative. So you've, you've got to tell a very clear story that doesn't take a lot of time that explains, you know, what's the problem, how you solve it and why you're going to, why you're going to make an impact. Adrian, uh, one of the things that you're notable for as an entrepreneur is your um, is your public speaking ability. Mm. Tell me a little bit. I, I I'm less interested in the platitudes about you know preparation and yeah. uh, stuff like that. But like what do you, what what what's t- tell me about doing that? Like how do you approach an individual speech? What do you what do you drink in the morning or how much sleep <laughs> how much sleep do you get? Like what what are the details of uh, you know what do you wear uh, of of making sure that you know what what you're gonna say is uh, you know what you want to say is actually what yeah. you're communicating. So um, the the question I thought you were going to ask me before you start to ask about specific details was, you know, how do you really become a good speaker? You know, um, and so I'll answer that and then I'll answer, answer the ask actual question you asked. But, um, you know, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I served a two-year mission for that church. And in our church, there's a lot of opportunities to speak to the group. You know, and so I had a lot of experience speaking before I had to do it kind of professionally. Um, so obviously all those ha- all that helps. So anyone out there that wants to become a public speaker needs to join that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you can edit that out. No, anyone that wants to be a public speaker, they need to take every opportunity they can to get in front of people, you know, and there's, there's a group called Toastmasters. I haven't participated in it, but I've heard great things about it. Um, but the one thing that's most important when you're preparing for a speech is figuring out before you write the speech, what's the, what's the one most important message you want people to get. And once you do that and you put together what you actually want to say, the second most important thing is, I know this may seem mundane, is practice out loud with a stopwatch. And I know that doesn't seem that complex, but if you practice out loud with a stopwatch, I know it seems embarrassing or it seems awkward, um, but it makes all the difference. Because what happens is when people read a talk, and even if, they, even if they memorize it, when they get up and actually have to say it out loud for the first time and they stumble on something, then suddenly they start thinking about how their words sound or it gets too complex. So by memorizing and practicing out loud what you're going to say, then once you get there, you can look at the audience. You can engage with them with your eye contact because you're not thinking, oh, what do I say here? What's the next thing? You're, you, you, you can be more confident. I don't know. Is that helpful? It's helpful, sure. So so what do you drink in the morning when you have a big speech? <laughs> so um, I generally avoid dairy because you can get kind of cotton mouth. And then um, I also learned the old trick that you um, you should eat something like citrus before because it kind of helps you know, or have a piece of candy, you know, before, so you don't get dry mouth. And even though I've spoken many, many times, I'll still get dry mouth sometimes if I don't take those, those preparations. Yeah. Um, I don't really think about the clothes I wear, except that I want to be very, very confident. So I want to pick something that I look, I look good in, you know? 
Um, Adrian, I want to wrap it up here by just saying that, um, you know, it seems like... All right. Thanks to Adrian Dayton for chatting with us uh, today. And a reminder to subscribe to Buffalo TechCast on iTunes or on SoundCloud. In the meantime, we'll talk to you all next week.